Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who came out to the pop-up shops this past week. It was so incredible getting to meet and dress everyone, and you really reinforced what I sort of already knew, which is that we have built the best little corner of the internet that there possibly is. Pop-ups are your chance to try on the collection in person, shop with me in person, and generally have a lovely time treating yourself to some fabulous modest fashion in sizes 2 through 28. The final pop-up on my tour is tomorrow, Tuesday, September 12th in Queens at Asia Chayel from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. The address is 7262 Main Street. It is on the same block as the old movie theater. If you're not able to make it to the pop-up, you can still order online with free U.S. shipping in return. Tomorrow, Tuesday, September 12th, in addition to being the day the pop-up, is also the last day to order and guarantee arrival before Rosh Hashanah. I will be shipping this whole week, but I want you to have enough time to get it and and not be under stress. So you're going to want to place your order by Tuesday. Thank you so much for your support and enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I sit down with a licensed clinical social worker to discuss relationships. She shares how addiction and chronic insecurity are related, why the opposite of addiction is connection and community, how we go about building supportive communities for ourselves, and I share one of my biggest insecurities and friendships. good fortune of running into Esther Goldstein at an event after we had been loosely in touch for about a year. A therapist who runs a group practice, she's someone who takes a wider community-focused lens on mental health issues and has so much wisdom to share. People would call me Dimples. I was like this little happy-go-lucky kid. And the reason I'm saying that is actually it's not who I am today. I have happiness inside of me, that's for sure. It's probably a lot more balanced and wholesome because I could feel lots of emotions right now when I was a kid. As a kid, you know, I had like um, a short, I don't know what my mom was thinking. I guess it was back, it was in back in the day, but I had this like short little haircut and in the front it was like this like big dip with like dippity-doo. My mom used to sing dippity-doo, oh, dippity-day. My, oh my, what a wonderful day. So that was my haircut. Um, And the people would call me dimples because I have dimples and I would walk around just being a very happy kid. I was always smiling. I was always looking for something to, to smile about. So that's what I, what I was like as a little kid. And then as you, yeah. like, you said that you're not like that now, as you grew up, I guess, does that, is that something that like you consciously kind of tempered or did the world beat you up a little bit? Like how did that uh, um, kind of evolve into no, the world, into what you are today? It's not, yeah, it's not that. It's that I, I was happy. I think it's almost like in family roles, we almost take on a certain role. So I had an oldest sister um, who would ask very deep, like existential questions in school and was like very inquisitive. Um, and I think that there were places that invited those questions and there were some places that didn't. And so she had more of like, um, she had a specific demeanor that wasn't like the happiest, but more like, you know, curious. And my second sister had a certain presentation cause we're four girls and a boy. I was the middle kid. And then I had like a sister and a brother. So I think it was more of like a role that I consciously or unconsciously took on of like, what's my place and what's my role. My role was like being the happy kid. Um, but I think as I got older, I, part of, part of, um, I, you know, I became like very, I was very studious. 
I did very well at school, but I definitely had like a certain level of pressure that came along with that. When I say that I'm happy right now, I feel like my happiness is much more integrated. And what I mean is like people say, yeah, I'm coming to therapy to be happy or I want to actually be a happy person. I don't really know if it's the pursuit of happiness that we seek because happiness, it's like a feeling that's fleeting. It comes and it, and it goes. I think it's more a matter of being able to be with the different emotions and sensations and thoughts and feelings. Um, and the reason I say, the only reason I mention happiness is because I'm probably more authentically happy right now, but over the years I've learned how to cry, how to feel angry and how to, you know, feel maybe a different kind of feeling of happiness. So I don't, I don't, it's not that I've been beaten up. I think I've just become more mature or wholesome in my expression. Talk to me about yeah. what you mean by this idea of like integrating these emotions. Cause I know that that's something that you are particularly passionate about. Um, yeah. You know, your practice is integrative psychology. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's what you do. Tell, tell me a little bit more about what you do and, and why this idea of integrating our emotions into our lives is so important to mental well being. Okay. So actually, I'm just going to tell you the name integrative actually came from at a point, I mean, I was got my degree. And then at some point, I was working in Israel with survivors of trauma. And some of it was more of like, complex trauma, like single incident trauma, um, like being in a car accident or surviving a terrorist attack. And then I was also working with people who survived, or went through emotional neglect. So kind of more of those invisible traumas, um, maybe some violation, you know, kind of abuse in different ways, uh, sexual or emotional abuse. And I was started like tracking how people's traumas or pain, I should say, or emotional, not getting what they needed, um, impacted them. So anyway, when I got back to America, I was working in Israel for a while. I did a post-credit Hebrew. I got back to America and I kind of became the go-to person that people would send clients who either were in rehabs or had done very intense emotional trauma work. Um, and they were trying to integrate back to society, but it was very hard for them because if someone's at a rehab or if someone's inpatient because of complex emotional or mental health symptoms or even social struggles, it's very hard to integrate back. And I was that person who was just like, I'm going to do this with you. I got consultation because I saw the struggle of like the whole goal is about belonging and integrating back into society, not saying like, oh, I have these emotional pains and then I'm different from everyone else. It's about integrating back in. And so I kind of created, the name was really about how do we help people integrate back into if someone had an addiction or if someone had trauma or if someone, you know, had a lot of um, chronic insecurities and they kind of felt separate, that felt separate then, how do we help them integrate back into themselves, into their own minds and bodies, integrate back into their families within healthy boundaries and conversations and actually back into society. So the concept of integrating back to that just more globally is... I think, you know, we look at emotions or we look at happiness or we look at healing and maybe in my younger version or one dimensional self, I would think, oh, that means person doesn't have anxiety anymore. Oh, that means the person has, you know, only healthy relationships and integration to me is a matter of like making space for those, for all of the range of emotions, being able to be with anger, appreciating that shame. Yeah. I gave a training once on the difference between healthy shame and toxic shame. So widening our capacity and our bandwidth to be able to understand how every single part of emotion, sensation, um, experience, even memories has a place and the integration of all of that and the being able to be with all of that really allows us to be more whole. And I think it helps us be less rigid and less like um, terrified of certain emotions when they come up for us. That's such an interesting way to look at it is that like by holding space for all of the different emotions, it's like you mentioned anger. Anger is something that we think of as bad, but anger mm. is not necessarily bad. It's how we handle our anger that is bad or how we react to it. 
Yeah, I love that you're saying that. Right. Anger. Anger actually is a way that our minds and bodies tell us something's not okay. Now, sometimes something's not okay internally. Like we have a big feeling or we're upset and it's a matter of managing disappointment. And right, it's more of like how we react or how we express our anger that needs management. Um, but sometimes anger is a way of saying like, you know, somebody did something that's not okay. And actually it's my body's way of saying like, this is really not okay. And that's a boundary for me. And it's really good information that I'm getting angry because it means that now I'm activated to make a change or I'm activated to pull away from something. So I think it's a matter of being able to make space for or getting to know, yeah, what the emotions are and then healthy, appropriate ways of dealing with it. And I could just speak as a mom, like the, as I'm a mom and as I learn about raising my own child and, and just all of these experiences and like supporting other parents or looking at people in different phases of development, the more we can tolerate and get curious and learn healthy ways of being with our emotions so we can model that for our kids. Because if I'm afraid of anger and my kid comes home with anger, then I'm not really going to help him be able to filter out, wait, is this a healthy, appropriate anger? If your kid said uh, if somebody stepped on your toe and that really hurt, right? And it's like, uh, hey, can you give me space? Or are you angry just because like you're really not doing as well as other kids in your class and how do I help you deal with that disappointment inside? So if I'm allergic to that, I'm not even going to be able to explore those conversations or emotions. Um, so that's why I talk about making space for it and then to help work, make space for how to hold and yeah, express those emotions. That makes a lot of sense. And also it's like, it makes a lot of sense. And the concept is in a way so simple and it is one of the hardest things to do because very often, like I can speak as a, as a mom with younger kids, I'm in the toddler yeah. phase right now yeah. that when your kid is upset, you get upset. Like it is upsetting to yeah, be, yeah. it is upsetting to have something happen to your child or is it upset? It is upsetting to just deal with an upset toddler. Yeah. That's upsetting. And it's in those moments where you have the greatest opportunity to kind of model. This is how we deal with this big emotion. And at the same time, you need to like, it, it's helpful to do it for yourself because then you're like, mm -hmm. you're doing it for yourself. And at the same time, you're showing them in real time. Like, yes, you're upset right now and I'm upset because you're upset. So we are all going to have to take this down a notch. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you're saying how hard it is. Some things sound beautiful. Like sometimes I've read blogs or gone to trainings and I'll be the one who pipes up and raises my hand. I'm like, hey, can we just acknowledge that that's like climbing like um, the Himalayan mountain? Because that takes an exhaustive amount of energy and right. especially dependent on how like triggering or difficult some experiences are for some of us you know it's like this activates me so it's very nice you're telling me all these nice things but like what does this mean in real time how do I right. do that right exactly like how, how do we actually deal with this you said something earlier that I that I wrote down because I thought it was so interesting that you mentioned them in the same context you were talking about how you help people who have like been through rehab and other programs integrate back into society and in the same kind of list you mentioned like addictions mental health struggles and chronic insecurities I would think that like a chronic insecure like oh whatever like I don't like my hair or I don't look my I, or you know I don't like the way I feel about myself I would put that as like not as big of a deal I guess mm -hmm. which sounds really mean to say but I just did as like having an addiction how are those things like how are those things related are they is it just as big of a deal like we shouldn't be playing the like trauma Olympics no, over I here. love your I love that you're asking this and I love that you're asking the questions that many times we think right I put it on the same list because essentially the whole point of addiction, the whole point of overusing, overworking, either being chronically avoidant, shutting down people want connection, 
um, using substances, using too much alcohol or anything that's addictive is essentially um, a way to exist because you're so uncomfortable in your own mind, in your own body, with your own thoughts. So chronic insecurity, at the end of the day, to me, all I hear about, all I think about is a range of people's um, level of discomfort of being in their own minds and bodies and in their existence. Mm -hmm. So it's really on a spectrum. When I see a woman who basically talks to me that she's going to a social event or she's going to synagogue or she's going to a parent-teacher conference or someone's going to a dating event, okay? And all I hear about is like the the looking in the mirror, wondering what people are going to think, the fear of like the words that she's going to say and all of that. What I'm looking for is like, wow, there's a little, there's a part of her inside that is so frightened and and, and quivering inside. And it could be the same for me when I hear about, you know, someone who has a gambling addiction and essentially what I'm listening for when he's reaching for that, when he's, you know, present with his family or when he's, you know, trying to get through college and keeps getting distracted by this or, you know, plays on his, on his phone all day with these nonstop games that is essentially a form of numbing, what's really going on inside, right? He's afraid of failing, he's afraid of disappointing, right? So there, at the end of the day, it's the spectrum of there's a core theme. I always tell clients, you know? You have one struggle. There's one theme that I'm going to see that's coming up. It's just, it's a matter of like how severe your symptoms are because symptoms essentially tell us something's not okay or you're struggling. But essentially we want to look at the core pain point. Some have more intense ways of how it impacts the functioning. Some have less intense ways, but essentially it's this core of like how uncomfortable or how intolerable is it to be in your mind and body? And then how do we work with that? Right. It's so interesting because when you just said like more intense ways and less intense ways, there's also more socially acceptable ways to deal with that uh, and less socially acceptable ways. Yeah. Like, listen, if we're talking about insecurities and how we look, we know that like dieting is super acceptable and restricting what you eat and yeah. and all of that. That that could be a very unhealthy way of dealing with emotions, especially if it progresses into like an eating disorder or a disordered eating type of level. And then when you mention gambling, I think of how some people approach stock trading. Which is really, if you're a day trader, you are a gambler. You are a socially <laughs> acceptable gambler. And, yeah. and, and, but that's an okay way to, you know, and obviously there are people who make a living off of it and whatever you get, you know, get your healthy highs, however you're going to get them, I guess. But it's, but it's those, it, it all boils down to the same kind of core emotion of just, you know, like, what do I need to do to get out of my skin right now? I think it's also, if you talk about all of those samples, which I love what you're doing is that you're also talking about people's capacity to regulate, which is essentially all of us are really wanting to regulate our nervous systems, right? We have like our muscular systems and there's our nervous system, which is which are our nerves, right? Um, and that impacts kind of how we're feeling. If we feel very shut down or weighed down by tar, if we feel very anxious and jumpy. Um, but essentially, if someone is a day trader, someone has like somebody might, you know, play a game once in a while and or even drinks, um, a beer once in a while, or somebody goes to watch a movie or someone, I don't know, goes for a run. All of that can be healthy or could be adaptive. You know what? I'm just doing this for a little bit of time or reads a book, right? Or someone might go into escapism where they're chronically living in, a, in like this book or dieting. But then the question is what's actually happening inside and does their mind and body and nervous system, right? Do they have the capacity um, to be able to pause? If someone notices that they're going on a diet and they have so much shame and so much discomfort and these negative beliefs about themselves when they're trying to feed themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Then what's going on internally? And I, the way I look at it is like, it's an energy thing. How much energy is it taking for you? How much energy on a daily basis is being gobbled up by you Googling, by you thinking about your food, your body, your money, whatever it is, right? Um, because life is about having energy to do regular things of life, wake up, 
be able to eat, get dressed, interact with people, be able to tend to struggles, practical things, pay our bills, dream, take some steps, be in the moment. So to me, I always think about it as energy. When I'm meeting with someone or I think about myself, do I have the energy to be able to be present in my life, to tend to the things that I need? Or how much of my energy is being gobbled up by something and pulling me away? And then you're going to see, right, what's socially acceptable and what's not. The reason I name kind of people have like the emotional neglect piece or people being in relationships where, you know, they might be shamed or ignored or working in an environment where they're like subtly, almost like there's some kind of like aggression um, is because people could suffer and it'll look like, you know, somebody might have an amazing job or might have an amazing marriage or might look very put together, look beautiful in their clothing. Um, but they might really be suffering and they have a lot of energy that's being expended on a daily basis that you might not know about. So I think just being able to raise that awareness of, of both, of both people who like, yes, you'll see that they're struggling, but also some people that, or I just want to, or to anyone who's listening to this, you might be struggling or suffering or feeling so tired and you don't know why you might be emotionally tired because you're tending to something that's taking up a lot of energy. And, 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 and wait, I'm just going to go on for a second. And for me, having knowledge or understanding your mind and your body and then learning the right tools could be so powerful, which is why I do the work I do, like from the counseling arena, but even educating people, because just having the right knowledge could take such a weight off of people's minds and bodies. Just like if you know that you have like a processing disorder or a struggle, you were a child, you're going to come at it very differently than expecting, okay, this is my expectation. Or if a child has autism, the parents understanding how their child navigates is going to be so different. And so it shifts the expectations and there's ways to work with it differently. So like to shift our approach to how we operate in our minds and bodies. Right. That's so it's, goal. it's, it's yeah. about, I'm, I'm, it's a little bit hard for me to pinpoint this because when you think about it's, if it comes down to like, what are you thinking about? Like, how is it, how much energy is this taking up, yeah. you know, in your life? Sometimes there are things that I guess it's like, it's kind of like the difference between someone who, you know, can have a glass of wine and then go to sleep and an alcoholic who is always thinking about where that next drink is coming from and how am I going to make sure that I always have enough near me and, you know, that and that kind of thought yeah. process. But I wonder when we speak about like these socially acceptable numbing tools, how does mm -hmm. community fit into this? How does like what how mm -hmm. does how do the people around us? fit into this whole equation and I can only imagine that having the right people around you can make this type of recovery recovery feels like a really strong word to use there but here we are that like to or just to make to make integrating that much easier yeah okay so let me just because I know I could go on a tangent first of all if you think about the person who's thinking about their drink really think about they're looking to numb their pain so that means there's someone who's walking around with like a 50 pound um, either like, like a burden, emotional burden most of the time and just existing without numbing is painful. The goal is right to be able to lessen the pain of whatever it is that they're holding. I just want to give an answer of hope, right? If somebody is thinking about something or needs to find ways to cope. Essentially the goal of any kind of healing, so to speak, or the goal of psychotherapy or the right kind of supports is to help the mind and the body like lessen or unburden or help digest because right? a lot of what happens when we emotionally are obsessing or if we have thoughts or if we just feel anxious or angry without realizing why is that we have certain emotions that haven't been processed. Like I think about like a piece of meat that just needs to be digested. And when you digest it, it's less heavy. 
So the person who's thinking about numbing, it's like taking that 50 pound weight and starting to crumble it a little bit. So he doesn't feel, doesn't weigh as heavily on him. It doesn't have to escape the pain as much. It feels more tolerable. The concept of community, which I was talking to you about, because when we met at the Lynx event, right, we were talking about our practice has this thing called this integrative community care. It's an initiative we recently started. Um, the concept of community, if you think about, is that, and we'll, we could talk about addiction or we could talk about any kind of pain that people struggle with, is that, you know, Gabor Mate talks about, um, he's a medical practitioner who then, you know, has done a lot of research on trauma. Um, it, basically, how the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Ooh. I, oh, okay. Tell me more about that. What is, because, okay. I mean, if I'm not an addict or if I was an addict and now I am no longer an addict, then I am sober. But to be yeah. sober, I have to be connected to the people around me. No, I love this. I love this. So the reason I say I'm saying this is because actually the way that I landed up specializing in trauma, I actually started off um, specializing in addiction because there were people, there were family, friends, there were actually leaders in the community um, um, that were struggling with addiction. And I remember being so confused, like, oh, okay, let me, why are these people doing so well? But one person was actually a pretty well-known um, teacher, like a Jewish education teacher. Everyone gave him the hardest students. He was doing amazing. And the next thing I know, I was like in sixth grade and I find out that he had, he was unwell, quote unquote, with lung problems. Really, he was in rehab. So I was so confused. Like he's so high functioning. He's actually doing so well. He has great marriage. Um, but anyway, I started off in the addiction field. And then I realized that if we're pushing for sobriety, if we're pushing to take away the drug or the the overworking or whatever it is that people are using to numb, um, that's very nice, but are we pulling away their only capacity to function? And then could we actually help them create a way to feel less pain in their mind and body so they don't have to go back to whatever it is that they're using? And that's how I landed up in the concept of trauma healing because what I realized is that it's not just a matter of managing the behavior. It's about getting to the core of the pain and helping the person's mind and body feel like they're holding less pain. So Gabor Mate, of course you have to become sober to be to, to not have these like behaviors that are impacting your life. But what he's saying is part of becoming sober or part of having healthier, more adaptive ways of living is being able to have connection. Connection is what heals us. Connection, if you put somebody who's struggling in an environment where somebody connects with them. I had a client once, I literally wanted to cry and just like, she said to me at one point, she came to me, um, she was struggling a lot and was thinking about going back inpatient and I got really good clinical consultation like up your time, go three times a week, go, go, go three times a week, temporarily manage the pain and the distress, get the family involved, and then lessen it back to see if you can help her. And at one point she said to me, you know, I come to sessions sometimes to talk about my pain and my trauma, but I really come just for connection because you actually like listen to me and I could tell that you really care. And my heart, my heart just felt like I wished in that moment that there was like a sister or an auntie that could just be in her room every day to sit with her and say, come here. I just, I just want to talk to you. Just, just tell me, tell me about a painting that you're doing. Like my heart almost was like, she just, this is what we, we all want connection. And I'll talk to Rifki in a second about what comes in the way of connection, right? That there's tons of times we're surrounded by people, but we could feel isolated or misunderstood. But does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. The concept of community, um, I want to just check in though, because I could go and talk a lot. And I want to just check in what's making sense before I kind of talk about community in regard to this. No, this all makes perfect sense to me, especially because I think that, like, I'm I'm following the addiction example through because it's yeah, it, it's kind of straightforward, right? And I think that part of the reason why we feel like it's straightforward is because there's so as someone who has zero 
experience with or like doesn't even as far as I know does not know anyone who has had any kind of drug or alcohol or substance abuse type of addiction it can sometimes seem really simple just stop drinking Mm -hmm. just put just put the needle down like that you know and obviously that's a super simplistic naive thing to think or to say but when we when we take a look at what's happening beyond people like out beyond the action that we're seeing that's when you can make real change and that's when you can really that's when you're really connecting to people that's when you're really addressing not only the root issue but the the like you said the pain that's there that's behind whatever the right, action right. is right if I could just comment on that, like, of course you think that way. Of course you think that way, like, just put the drug down or just put the needle down. Of course you do. The same way I could have a friend who's calling me about a relationship that she's in. And all I think about is this person does not, cannot give her what she wants. Like, why does she keep dating him? Or I can hear a teenager that literally keeps going back to the coolest kid in the class, keeps ignoring her and shaming her. Or I could listen to the lady who keeps going to the same, you know, desperately wanting to belong to the so- same social group. And she's going to these you know, gym classes because she's desperate to belong. And all I'm thinking is, woman, retain your dignity. Don't put that energy in. And we're going to find you better friends so that you're not chronically feeling like a misfit and like you're losing your self-respect. But here's the thing. Of course, we're thinking that. And there's health in that because it's just like, a, wow, we're seeing that this behavior is not getting you to where you want to go. Now, here's the piece. When somebody's reaching for, if somebody's desperately trying to belong in a social group or someone's reaching for that needle, I know you're thinking, oh, there are two different ends of the spectrum. Of course they are in terms of functioning. But what I'm thinking about, and I'm going to sound like a trauma therapist here just for a second, but what I'm thinking about is who's the little in, who's the little child inside of them and what are they desperate for? Because when I see this 42-year-old woman going to this gym class, I see, and I see her desperation to, to be like, I see a little child I, I'm looking for the emotion. There's like a desperate need to like, could you just like me? Could you just like me? And that little kid doesn't have capacity to see. This is a 42-year-old woman who actually has two best friends from childhood who really adore her, a husband who loves her, and children who respect her to the moon and back. She's feeling like a little kid is saying, who's saying, can, can I belong? Could you think I'm cool? I just want to be part of you. And that's what we want to work with because what's happening there is that there's some kind of belief, there's some kind of behavior that this person is engaging in and they don't, they're not oriented to the possibilities of being able to engage with other kinds of people. And just so you know, in terms of good healing or even with like the addict, so to speak, we don't tell them just stop the behavior. What I say is I want to work with a part of you that feels like this is the only possible option. You wake up and your brain goes right there. And so I want to work with that part of you that in that moment, because there's a belief and there's a, there's literally something called procedural learning I teach a lot about this in a trauma training where our brains literally learn certain behaviors. Like if I come out every single day from my house and I turn to the right to go, you know, to my son's school. And I realize that at a certain point that's there, I hit traffic. And really, if I get, go to the left, I'm going to have a much quicker route. It's going to take me a lot of brain energy to turn instead of get, I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to start turning to the right and be like, wait, 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 wait. I have to remember, wait, there's another way. So changing that behavior, it's a procedural response, which means my body literally goes there. And so in good psychotherapy or even in good change of behavior or in, you know, working with that shift, and we'll talk about community and connection, we can change it, but expect that both those behavioral changes, one, we want to identify that part that's stuck in that place, that it feels like that's the only possible thing and to help it see there's another way. And then two, to work on behavioral change or changing the neural networks in the brain so that it can actually engage in that lady actually not going to that place, 
engaging with other women who actually could reinforce positive behavior. And then she's building her self-esteem in a whole other way. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. However, I'm glad that you brought up this inner child stuff because, yes. and I'm talking about pop psychology now. I will admit I follow yes. a lot of therapists on Instagram. Okay. Yeah. When I hear about this inner child stuff and everything that you just said makes sense to me. Okay. But when I hear people talk about like healing your inner child, my <laughs> eyes roll so far into the back of my head that they get stuck. And there's yeah. also a part of me that's like, well, there's, there's a part of me, there's a, there's a big part of me that's like, okay, lady, we get it. Grow up. That's, that's where one place of my brain goes. And the other place that my brain grows is grows, goes. The other place my brain goes is as a mom, a lot of what we hear about like inner child stuff or the things that happened to you when you were little, like it, what is that? What is it like Freud? It's always, it's always the mother's fault. Like it it always, it it always boils down to it. And as someone who like, first of all, is doing her darned best. And also like, (laughs) At a certain point, you have to just be an adult and take responsibility for your actions or your feelings and work on it or or whatever. Yeah. I don't like it. It feels weird. Like not even weird. It feels fluffy and like and and like it makes everything the mom's fault. And speaking as a mom, I don't appreciate it. Yeah, it's just like, are you telling me that I'm actually in the middle of creating wounds that my child is then going to have to sit and listen to like working on their inner child for the rest of their life? Come on, I'm teaching them skills. If the skills they pick up, great. If the skills they have to figure out, please tell me that they're going to have the capacity to take some sense of accountability and figure it out as as an adult and have resourcefulness. Rifki, I'm not saying that inner child means, and that's why like I said, I'm going to sound like a therapist right now. Inner child does not mean you have a little child and you're going to sit down and cry with her. Inner child means, I'm going to have to even use the concept of inner child. What I would say is that there is a part of you that clearly feels, for whatever reason, that it doesn't have the tools to not do whatever it's doing. And our job, I'm not even saying it's your mom or dad's fault. It doesn't matter. My parents did the very best they can. They made mistakes, but they gave me a ton of gifts. Their parents did the best they could. They made a lot of mistakes and they did the best they could. All I want to know with my own kiddo is that I'm actually doing the best I can, but it's not even about my kid, to be honest. Like, if we want to go spiritual for a second, the people that we end up in are, are, are husbands, people that you're married to, right? Or husbands, wives, or your friend group, or your kids. We're all here to teach each other things. My kid teaches me so much about life and about my own behavior and about becoming a more wholesome person, about aligning with my integrity in a way that I never would have thought is possible. So we're all just on, we're all just walking each other home to being able to be more whole in our own minds and bodies. And we're, and yes, as parents or people in a role model role, we want to do the best we could, but back to the inner child, I'm not saying, um, oh, you have a part of you that doesn't know what to do. And here you have an excuse. I'm not saying that at all. I imagine if somebody said that to me, I would be like, no, I'm not here to be like crying over soup. I want validation. I want to have I want to have the capacity to notice what emotions or what skills I feel are or are not possible. And then I want to be mobilized to make a different kind of action if I'm getting stuck in action. Or I want to be able to shift my belief. If my belief is no one likes me and I'm chronically going to relationships where I have to beg for attention or approval, I want to be able to do the work so that I can undo that and actually come up with, although some people don't like me, I'm a likable person and I can Mm. choose to be around people that are good for me. I have the capacity to choose the people I'm around or although these few people don't appreciate me and my humor, I have the power to choose or I'm wise enough to choose who is good for me. 
or I'm figuring out what's good for me. Or although I get easily aggravated, I'm learning how to to know what emotions or how to deal with my emotions better. You hear basically it's not a matter of saying, oh, you have an inner child. Like let's say the addict that I'm thinking of, you know, he was raised by parents whose mom had a lot of depression and laid in bed and dad who overworked. Guess what? They did their very best. It's not about right. saying your parents didn't do a good job. What it's saying is how can we help you be with these emotions? He felt like a lost kid who had no clue of how to do things called life without feeling like a constant failure because he had a belief that he's a failure. And we worked on that belief so he could know most people don't know how to figure things out if they didn't have role models in that way. And we're going to help you figure it out one step at a time and you're going to make mistakes. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. But you get it? But I have to work right. with that. 10 year old who disappointed daddy because he felt like he had to like carry responsibility i'm gonna work with that kid who needs to realize it's okay right to be able to navigate that so he can actually be an adult that can tolerate disappointment without completely becoming incapacitated or, or wallowing in his pain are so you hearing what i'm saying i'm the hearing you. To activate. Yeah. The, the, when you're talking about this with like real nuance then which again the internet is not going to give you um in on a yeah. variety of topics um that's why we podcast but either way the when you're talking about this with like the the entirety of the concept and with the real nuance it's really about acknowledging the ingredients that you're working with it's like what is our starting point yeah. where where are we like what is what is the water that we're swimming in like what are what are the things that we need to address and acknowledge in order so that you can do whatever work you need to do to be an adult and to function properly and to uh, you know integrate properly with the people around you yes i make better choices i'm back to community like i was telling this to you earlier there are areas in my life that i literally have had times where i was like feeling really anxious or exhausted on a daily basis and i'm like i don't understand i'm living my dream job i'm there isn't anything right now at the time right there wasn't like a big move that i just went through or a big emotional hurdle i have had times like that but it's like i'm not in a huge season of change why am i exhausted and then i was looking at some of the friendships that i had and talk about community like i've realized that the concept of community is who are the people I'm interacting with? Are the relationships ones where people where I'm holding myself to a level of integrity and these people are actually also contributing to my life in a healthy way? Or are there people that I'm tiptoeing around stepping around them? Even if they're not, I'm not going to say that people have personality disorders. I don't give those labels to people easily, right? I have issues. I'm annoying. People are annoying. We're all annoying and we're all yummy and delicious as well. But one of the things that I've realized in terms of the concept of connection and community is and when, when we have children or when we're in marriages or when we're living aligned with certain values or when we want to raise our kids in a certain way or if we're in a phase of dating or if we're in a phase of taking care of our emotional health or if we're in a phase of having healthy boundaries, are the people in our immediate circle able to honor that in a way that feels like we're growing with each other, right? So community, back to what I said, like I created a group practice Less because of, you know, oh, people are like, oh, you're monetizing, you're a therapist, you have a good name, you do good work, why don't you just hire clinicians? I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing it for that reason. I don't want to ever open a chicken coop practice where, oh, you have clients, here's therapist, ploppity, plop, plop, plop. Like, no, that's that's not what I want. My goal actually was to create an environment where therapists have a sense of support because I know the feeling of feeling isolated, of treating clients, of day in, day out, listening to stories, having to hold to that level of confidentiality, right, because of HIPAA. And then paying experts around the world for consultation and, and feeling so tired and, and lonely, but also feeling so 
you know, impacted by being able to engage in really meaningful work. And so I created a community in the practice where therapists talk about their strengths and their struggles. I just took the staff on a work retreat where we did some yoga. We did some of our own artwork, helping ourselves to be able to notice the ways that, you know, we have our own dreams, our mission, doing that. And then right now, so we have that community and connection. So we, our clients can feel like, wait, there's a team of people who support each other and I have a place to land, right? In a supportive way. And then even in terms of our community, there's an initiative now where we have educational workshops, roundtable discussions for teachers, for parents, for students to teach them about, you know, bullying or big emotions or regulating their nervous systems or overwhelm or navigating technology and things like that. And then we have a lot of other conversations and why? Because I'm a mom in a community and because I see that when my son is surrounded by kids around his age or when I'm surrounded by other parents and, you know, teachers or people in the community that just talk about these conversations, about health, about wellness, about accountability, about compassion, about loss, about pain, um, in a more like nuanced way, then we just have a healthier society. Like I look at, I look at kids who come into our practice for a couple of sessions and are able to go back out and skip and engage in the world versus those who struggle for a lot longer. And a lot of it has to do with, do mom and dad have a sense of community? Does this person in a dating world have a community of other single people so they feel understood? So after they're sitting on my couch, they have people to spend the weekend with, to spend Shabbos or Jewish holidays or even anyone in any community. Do you have your people you're going home to? Because people is what help us feel less alone and what helps reduce mental health struggles. So that's why I'm so passionate about this whole community concept. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And we're and we're also seeing this, like, especially post COVID, when that community structure crumbled for necessary reasons, how that led to so many more mental health struggles. And and now we're kind of in the process of clawing our way back from that. How do you go about building healthy community? How do you have like, what are the ways that you surround yourself with people who are good for you and who lift you up and who do not drain your energy, but also your of, I guess, of service to them or helpful? Like what, is there, is there a recipe for this? Yeah. So I'm going to come back to what we just said about like the inner child work, not inner child, but what I mean is it starts with ourselves, the beliefs we have about ourselves, the the way that we are taking care of ourselves. I know for myself that if I'm going to sleep on time, if I'm feeding myself food, that feels good to me and food, that means like all different kinds of food, right? I'm all about like eating all different kinds of food. If I am, you know, setting good boundaries. I had just yesterday, my friend said to me, um, Esther, you're out of integrity. Why? Because she came to visit me and we spent some time. And then I, there was like a play date that my son had and I ended up staying there for a longer period of time. My son, my friend was upset at me. And I was like, thank you for calling me out. She's like, you didn't realize that I was waiting for you. So why am I saying this? Because my own health of like having a friend who could call, who can say that me having the capacity to notice, I stepped on my own boundary and someone else's boundary by not being clear and thinking like, wait, this is a play date. I know the mom at the play date likes when I talk to her for 20 minutes and I can't just drop my kid off. How do I manage that and say, hey, I know you're coming to visit. I know this is what's going on here. I'm, I'm, it's going to take a little bit of time. Are you okay with that? If not, let's plan a different time. So that's my well, What's the difference between that and like we've all had experiences, I think, or most of us have had experiences with just really needy friends. Why are you not, why are you not picking up when, when I call, why are you not available? I'd love to go out for lunch. Oh, you have to be at work. Oh, that's too bad. And like, how do you, how, how do we recognize the differences between those? This is back to what I'm saying, because my not being clear with these people and with myself was my fear of if I tell my friend, that I need a little bit more time, she's not going to want to come visit. And then I'm going to be so sad because I feel like this is the only time that we could meet. And if I was more honest with myself, I would say, hey, I really want to spend time with you. And I know that you're a little picky about your timing. 
What should I do? I know this is a situation that's coming up. Could we find another way to spend time? Wait, I want to go to global instead of getting stuck in the situation. Two things. One is our beliefs about ourselves. Two is what are the values that we have in our lives and are we really being clear on them? Because, um, and are we being clear on them? And then three is, are we interacting with people in a way that they can show up for us and we could show up for them? And four, which I think is the most important piece is how do we tolerate the uncomfortable in between place? Mm. Because there are times that we're going to feel lonely or there are times that we are setting boundaries or we're navigating what our families need, what we need, um, and what our friends need. And there's a negotiation process of, are these people like there are these people really good for me or not really? And do I have to pull back? And then how do I tolerate that loneliness or that discomfort or this boundary that I set and my my friend or this person? I just out asked if I could go out for coffee. I don't know if she actually likes me or if she thinks I'm a little weird, but you know what? I'm putting effort in. How do I tolerate those vulnerabilities or those fears in these moments when I'm trying to align with what feels good for me as I'm creating community? Because we don't wake up one day and say, okay, I have Deborah. You know, Sally, Barbara, and, um, you know, Hani, and I want them all, and they all want to be in my life, and we could all figure things out together, and I schedule the line, and perfect. Now I have everything figured out. It doesn't work like that. It starts really with our core, if only. But here's the thing. It does start with our core because, I mean, tell me if any of this is resonating for you. You tell me what's making sense about community values, beliefs. I mean, this is all, this is all lining up. Like it makes everything you're saying makes sense. I think that like something that you actually just said a little bit that that like stuck out in my brain. One of the big insecurities that I have is yeah. I really don't want to be the needy friend. <laughs> like I uh, and and especially because I'm in this space in my life where a lot of my colleagues and like coworkers, let's say, are people who I don't live geographically close to. Um, because yeah. like I have become friends with a lot of people online and and I do consider us colleagues, you know, like other bloggers or other fashion owners or, you know, just people who I've gotten to know, um, you know, usually through Instagram. And then let's say if we happen to be in the same city at the same time, it's kind of like, I would like to see them, but like they're only here for five days let's say I don't know if they want to give one of their afternoons to me and like should I reach out if I reach out will they feel obligated to do that and then or is it going to just are like because I've certainly gotten texts from people where it's been like oh gosh now I have to go have lunch with this person and it's because like there's no nice way that you can say no and and I really don't want to be that person to somebody else and what I found so interesting was that I mentioned that somewhere I must have been during a Q&A or something online and one of my very good friends someone who I consider to be a very close friend, she messaged me, she saw it. And right away, she was like, I literally feel the exact same way about you. She's like, because we don't live close to each other. We don't live close to each other. We really do make an effort whenever we yeah. are in the same neighborhood to, or like or neighborhood, state, whenever we're in the same state to try and get together. Um, and usually it's from her traveling to New York. And she's always like, I always feel weird, like letting you know, like, yeah, I'm in the city. So like, if you want to get lunch and, and I was like, if you let me know, like, and I always told her, I was like, always just let me know. And if I can't, I can't. And, and like, and we'll figure it out. But it's like, there, there's so many shared insecurities, I guess. Um, and it's about, I guess, is yeah. it more just about establishing the communication of like, let me know when you're around and I'll see if I can make it work? Two pieces. I always look at this. There's internal and external. Internal is like um, the concept of, you know, we talk about like attachment. Some of us have mm -hmm. more of a, lean, like a you know, secure attachment. Some of us have a flavor of anxious attachment. Some of us are a bit more avoidant, right? 
Um, and so anxious is kind of like, I'll be grasping or reaching more and get investing more. And then avoidant is kind of when somebody's reaching out, you almost like are the one who pulls away more. You just get overwhelmed or you shut down or you're kind of like, and then secure is more of like, regardless of what you say or don't say, I'm actually fine. And I, I actually think about like, how our goal from the internal standpoint is that, can I make a request or can I ask for something in a way we are, that's why I said about the self-respect or I'm honoring my self-respect. It's a very normal request. And regardless of what that person says, and we could talk about the wording, I'm going to be okay because it really doesn't mm. say anything about me. And if this person is interested in investing time or has the capacity to invest time with me, that's great. And if a person doesn't have the capacity to spend time with me, that's okay. And if they don't have the interest, oh, it might hurt a little bit, but my value is still the same. And I think as human beings, obviously, right. we all struggle with that. We all do, right? This person doesn't want to go on a date with me again, right, in the dating world. This person didn't invite me again for a meal, um, my family for a meal for the weekend or for Shabbos, right? Or if you're going away for like a holiday vacation and you weren't invited to this crew. Mel Robbins actually just did this amazing thing, and I loved it. I don't know if you follow her, Mel. She's like this inspirational coach I know online. Her. Okay, there you go. So she had this little video that she said. She called it like, let them be. She's like, you know the feeling when basically someone doesn't ask you to date again? You know the feeling when you notice that all your friends are invited to go out for brunch and you weren't invited? And she's like, and it burns so hard because it's like, I'm being left out. And I know that I am. And she's like, here's the thing. She's like, if you are, you're obsessing about it, you're thinking about it, of course you are. But she's like, here's what if, what if you thought to yourself, and I know this sounds simpler, let them be. If they don't appreciate the value of who I am or if we're not aligning with where we're at, can I let them be? Because either if if they did want to spend time on their own and then they want to connect with me on a different time, they're going to show up. And if they don't, let that go and let some other people who are more aligned with who I am and my self-respect come because I'm not grabbing or grasping. Now, the, the way she said it, I could post the link maybe, but like the way she spoke about let them be was kind of like, investing our energies in people who don't want us doesn't work. And if honestly we're having right. an insecurity and these people do want us, they're going to come back around, right. you know? Like, and I think there's like the healthy balance of I've had friends, I've been that friend who hasn't invested in certain relationships because it just wasn't aligned or, you know, I set a boundary recently. I actually love some of these people I set boundaries with, but, but it's really like a lack of timing and energy. And I love how people don't realize how overwhelmed I can get, but I know someone took it personally and I had this urge to be like, hey, by the way, I could tell you're taking this personally. And I was like, no, that's me being codependent. I literally said to her, I adore you. I want to spend time. Let's try to reach back out in six months time. I meant all of that. If she's feeling sensitive about it, like that's on her. And guess what? Like even, even with you, you know how you had to reschedule because I was late. A part of me was like, wait, is Rifki upset? Does she not want to reschedule the podcast? I'm just telling you. And then I was like, no, she's on and we're on. So I, I have think to say, when we, we we should yeah. let people know this is we we were supposed to record a couple of weeks ago, and then um, you were running a little bit late, and we ended up having to reschedule. I was actually so thrilled that you were a little really? bit late. I was so thrilled because I had a ton of I had I had I had overscheduled that day. I had over yeah. that book that day. I had totally I had overbooked so many things, and which was usually if someone is like 10, 15 minutes late, I have the leeway. And I'm and I was like, okay, whatever. I'm working on my computer. I'm waiting for you to come on. I'm doing stuff. That day, not only did I not have the 10, 15 minutes to push everything because I was just back to back to back that whole day. When you I when you were like, you know, maybe we should just reschedule, I was like, thank you, God, I just got 45 minutes back. And right. now, you know, and we'll do it a different time and it'll be fine. And it'll be, you know, just as great then. So I think it also speaks to you don't really, you don't know what's going on on the other side. 
No, no, it's going on. I want to just say one other thing is that relationships are really a dance between two people. I can have a relationship with you that's secure because me and you, even if we have to navigate things or you're like, hey, I'm in town, no pressure to meet up, but I would love to see you would just bring me so much joy. And I would be like checking my schedule and either say, oh my God, Rifki, perfect. I can't wait. Let's make this happen. Or oh, I'm so bummed. I really want to see you. Please give me heads up notice before you travel next time. I really want to know. Right. So that's a way of developing secure attachment. And me, you have a good rhythm and I can have a relationship with someone else who kind of like when I reach out to her she has this weird energy or she's like mm. very friendly but sometimes acts very cold I'm gonna have an insecure relationship with that person so it's really a dynamic and back to the community piece is one of the pieces is how am I working internally with my own belief that I'm a valuable person or I can deal with right if I'm that lady who's going to the gym working on my own natural procedural tendencies of reaching for people where I get the vibe that I'm uninterested or maybe translating that they're not interested when they really are, that's for me to differentiate. Like, is it that they are interested and I'm translating it wrong because I am I have the wrong filters on? Or they keep telling me they're not interested and then I have to actually pull away and invest in other people. That's my work. But if I'm coming from a more grounded place, I could put energy out there. It's called bids for connection. And then I can actually choose, okay, there's relationships or conversations or people that I'm developing secure connections with. And then there's people that I'm getting an insecure or uninterested in vibe, and then I have to let those go. So I think it's also getting information about, like, as we become healthier, like, oh, I had a friend also who, like, she was like, Esty, I don't have the time or the energy. Our kids were in such different phases, and a part of me was like, because that's my nickname, was reaching for it. And I was like, oh, this feels bad. And a few months later, I was like, thank God. It didn't, it didn't feel good. It felt like it was, like, too much efforting. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think community is about like, for me, it's coming, I do vision boards all the time. It's coming back to my vision. What are my values? Do these people have, you know, the the spiritual values, the emotional values? Do they communicate? My very good friends, like what you're saying, you said about communication, they're very communicative. Like I had a friend who was like, I love you so much. It doesn't work for you to come this week with your, or whatever it is, or come swimming. And I was like, thank you. Cause this, cause this way I know you're being honest with me. And when you invite me or when I invite you, like we're real. You right. know, but like, I talk me, about this all the time yeah. with my mom. You have to be able, if you don't, if, if I know that no matter what I say to you, you'll rearrange your whole life and make a yes. I can't trust that. Yes. I can't know that when you, that, you know, that when you say, yeah, it's totally fine for you to run a business out of my house for years and years and years and never leave that she means that my parents mean that when they say that, because there have been times and, and, um, I've, I've, I've had my mom on the podcast every mother's day and we, oh, okay. we I, the last episode we spoke through this because people are just like, I don't get it. How does this work? And it's because we say no, because wow. no, that doesn't work. And so when you are able to say no and really mean it and, and the other person can respect it, then when you get the yes, I don't have to worry about like how my parents feel about my business taking over half their house because I know exactly how they feel about it. And, and I know that there are, that there are red lines that we don't cross with it and it works well for everyone. And they like seeing me every day. So it works, but like, uh, but, but every- do you hear that? But that's energy. Do you hear what I'm saying? Right. You're not expending energy worrying. This is a whole energy thing. So if I'm clear right. internally, and if I'm able to connect with community and I have to say, and one other, just about this, one other thing is that when we get clear, when we get clear, we have those conversations, the comfortable or the uncomfortable right like mom and dad being like this is how we feel you're like okay I can tolerate that we enjoy it you were literally setting parameters then there's the capacity to show up and what I have to say is the clearer I get about the way I am and what I need and finding the right people who can actually do that and it could take time okay and we could talk about those in-between spaces um what I find is that 
Although like um, one of my mentors always tells me like, Esty, sometimes there's phases of life where you have like a tree and you're shaking off the tree and the loose branches fall off and it's very scary because they're like, uh-oh, are there going to be more branches? Am I going to have an empty tree? But then what happens is the ones that are strong and the ones that can have those conversations with you, they stay. And then new mm. branches start blossoming. And there have been phases in my life when I'm going through change or especially with clients, I've seen this, like those friends that can't tolerate or those relationships or those people, you're going to shake it off. And you know what? Maybe you're not getting rid of them, but in the, they're in the farther outskirts of your community, energetic or social community. And then there's people that stay. And I see this even at work. I see this with like, you know, or with people that we work with. It's like, as they get clear, there's people who rise. Like I've had conversations with my staff or even some of my friends, there's people who rise and I'm kind of like pleasantly surprised, but also just so happy. Like I'm clear, they're clear or showing up. And then there's people who throw a tantrum or get upset. And then it's like, so you know what, this real, this helps me realize it's not working for both of us. Right. And whatever way we have those conversations or things kind of fizzle on their own. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. But I have, to, I'm saying this because I see this, like you want to say energetics, you want anything. I see how this happens when we get clearer and we get healthy and we have someone in our corner or we're getting clearer on our own and we level up, we bring the right people who level up in our lives and we just have healthier lifestyles and we protect our energies more. I see it time and time again. It's about having the courage and the right supports to do that. And it when can be we're even just clear about what we need, we're giving yeah. the people around us the opportunity to make that decision for themselves also. Like we are not going to be good for everybody. I know that there are some people who I am not good for. I, I'm actually, I'm thinking of a specific person now. I know that there is someone who she looks at me and she burns with jealousy. I know this. Um, she, like from a business financial perspective. Yeah, she so, is, you're not, so you're not good for, so it's not good for her to have you in her life. Exactly. And when, and when I confronted her about this and, and I said, you know, I feel like every time we have a business discussion, it feels it, it, it feels like you're trying to one up me and it feels like you're and it feels like you're trying to put what I'm doing down and it feels like you're trying to um to to use to, to try to use me to make yourself feel more important mm. is being around me difficult for you because I'll be honest I was I was and I I mean I don't know I'm not that much in contact with her but I'm probably still more, slightly more successful than she is and and I and I would say, like does is that is being around me difficult for you and she said yeah it is and I said, maybe we need to take a break because I can't manage that disappointment for you. And I'm certainly not going to be less successful so that you feel better about yourself. Like, I'm not going to sabotage what I'm doing so that, you know, so that it's easier to be around you. But maybe we need to take a break. And there was one time where that was said kind of explicitly. And then mm -hmm. since then, it's been, you know, ebb and flow. But we but we like she's not she's not texting me every day anymore. And I'm OK with that because I think that that's better. First, it's certainly better for my mental health because, like, I can't manage that kind of drama. I can't manage that kind of drama I, yeah. in my own life. I certainly can't manage hers. But I think that it's better for her also, you know, and, and once love, we can get clear about yeah. that. I love, first of all, how you had the health to ask her and the courage. And number two, I, I want to call it health. I was really frustrated. There was an, an incident, which I will not go okay. into. I was freaking okay. frustrated. And I, and it was, I made that sense. Uh, let me backtrack. Okay, that anyway, sounds well, like a much more sane conversation than well, it was. What I but have either to way, say is, what I have to say is, I also give her credit for being honest because I will tell you there have been times where I've had people say to me, where I had someone in my like, there was someone specific where I said to her, I said, "Can I just ask you why I feel like I've become your punching bag?" Because I, <sighs> I definitely can be a punching bag to anyone um, other than my own self, and I already have things that I have to take care of. So I'm not quite sure when I became your punching bag, but I'm not up for being a punching bag. 
You can go right. boxing at a gym. Like when I noticed that, or like there was someone once who was like, I said, I feel like I've become a garbage pile. I can be supportive to you, or I can hear about your frustration. But when I feel like I'm being like spoken to, you know, you know, mm-hmm. spoken at, talking with them, they're talking at, like, I feel like I'm being talked at for whatever reason. And like, that doesn't feel good to me. So I just, I love that you said that. And I think that there's like, there's people where either they have the capacity to actually own that or they don't. I've had scenarios similar to kind of what you're talking about. Um, but even for our own selves, right, there's people where it's like, I had a conversation recently with someone and I said, our personality dynamics, we don't work well together. You have a zone of genius. You shine in a way. And there are different environments or people that help you shine. Just like for me, I, I, had her, I hired a consultant years ago and she was terrible for me. I made no movement. I wish she told me sooner, hey, Esther, you're making no movement. It took me like a lot of time, money, and energy and frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to find people that I'm like, oh, my God, you helped me shine. And you could deal with my lunatics and you with my, you know, those, the, like the, the, the shenanigans that I have. And you also helped me shine. So I think this is also saying, like, it's okay for us to not be good for everyone. There's nothing right. wrong with that. That's actually healthy. And then choose right. your people. Right. And then, and then when you choose something that is mutually beneficial those are the real secure relationships that you can rely on and that, you know, survive when the tree is, is shook, shaken, shaked. I don't know. Shaken. That's the word. I, I mean, our time has totally flown by. We could go for another three hours, but I do have other things. I, today is also a very book day and, um, I, I want to wrap things up, but if if somebody wants to uh, reach out to you, learn more about you, learn more about the practice, where can they go to get all the good Esther Goldstein information? They could always just Google Esther Goldstein LCSW, um, but our practice name is Integrative Psych. So it's uh, Integrative Psych, P-S-Y-C-H dot C-O, not dot com. What I do have to say is that we have, what we've done is we've created a lot of free downloads. So we have a few meditations, free guided meditations, exercises to help you get in touch with like your somatic sense, like helping you with a lot of the things we spoke about on your own to help you even get in touch with your own mind and body. We have a script for couples when they're having disagreements. Um, yeah, our practice is in Long Island in New York. Um, I do have a training that I do for trauma therapists or psychiatric nurse practitioners or psychiatrists that I've had people around the world. I'm humbled. I learned from them, you know, people from like Iceland, Germany, um, Israel, different group practices that have taken the training and it's been eye opening in Canada. Um, yeah, that's how they could get in touch. And to be honest, like, thank you for this. I'm so glad that even though it took us like a whole year to revamp into each other, conversation it's so meaningful to me thank you thank you same to me as well and to end off can you tell me what it means to you to make an impact oh my goodness beautiful um to make an impact is I mean I could just give you an example there's times that I get emails in my message in my email box or I get a voicemail and like I'm gonna get emotional right now because I've written some blogs I've created some downloads or maybe even been on podcasts but and I, I just recently I had a voicemail from a woman who said that she's like in her 60s and she read something that I wrote and she just feels so much less alone mm-hmm. and she feels understood. And she was literally just like thanking me. Um, and somebody else read like, read like a blog where I was just helping to normalize some symptoms of like anxiety or making sense of relationship dynamics or dances we get into and how you're not crazy. And there's like a few steps you can take to start healing. And this person was like up in the middle of the night reading <clears throat> this blog and writing how they feel like they finally make sense for the first time in many, many, many months. And all I feel is, thank you, God. I would say thank you, Hashem. Like, I just feel like if I can share 
my personal and professional experience and my humble little journey that I'm learning along the way, and there's someone who's touched and feels less alone and feels hopeful and feels understood, my heart swells with just warmth because honestly, we're all just like I said, walking each other home and I'm touched by other people's stories and that just that warms my heart or, or clients when I get messages of clients in the practice or people I've worked with and a small shift that they've made or being able to get into a healthy relationship or I don't know, that's just, it warms my heart. Like, and honestly, it's, they're doing the work. They're the ones Googling. They're doing the heavy lifting in therapy, but it's just like, I don't know, it warms my heart. when I, I love that. Hear. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on today, Esther. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Esther and Integrative Psych, her links are in the show notes. On last week's episode, I spoke to Nakami Tenenbaum of Defiance Beauty, formerly Carmella Cosmetics, all about renaming her business. Listen to it wherever you're hearing this one. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of Impact Fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my modest designs that are available in sizes 2 through 28 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 19 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant-parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses. Original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on all the socials, including a TikTok that I just started posting to at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.